0: Welcome to A Brief Chat, I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 211 for October 29th, 2021. On today's show, Tom Guare talks about his time as a monk. If you'd like to support this show, go to patreon.com slash vanarchism. You'll get early access to every episode, a monthly bonus show, plus travel essays and photos and videos from my vanarchism project, which chronicles my van travels across the U.S. Again, just go to patreon.com slash vanarchism, which is the word anarchism with a V at the beginning. Thank you. I am recording this intro in a McDonald's parking lot to use their Wi Fi in State College, Pennsylvania. Since the last time I recorded one of these intros, I've been quite a few places. I started, as you know, in Vermont and got back on the road full time last week. I traveled down to Walt Whitman's last residence in Camden, New Jersey, which I've always wanted to go to, and then finally took the time to go. And then I continued on to a camping spot next to a canal in Maryland. And then I saw my older son at American University in Washington, D.C., had a lovely time with him, then moved on to see some relatives in eastern Maryland, then drove across the state to see some friends in western Maryland, one of whom I interviewed for a future episode of this show, then drove north and somewhat east to State College, Pennsylvania, which is where I am right now, so that I could see my younger son. Generally speaking, I'll be in this area through Christmas, although I have some other things to do, some house-sitting in various places and that kind of stuff, and I think I'll take some day trips or even multi-day trips, but generally speaking, I'm going to be in Pennsylvania through Christmas, and then I think heading west after that, so to get all of the cool videos and... Uh, essays and all the cool stuff. If you become a member of the Patreon, you can just keep up to date with all of that. And now, without further ado, let us dive into this episode of A Brief Chat. Tom Guer, welcome to A Brief Chat. Thank you for having me. I Thank you for having me. We are uh, on the porch of your home here in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont uh, during, as we're recording this, we're during peak Fall foliage season and, uh, gorgeous man alive. Yeah. We're in a room that's, you know, 90% windows. It's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're here today because at one point in your life, you, uh, lived a monastic life and did that in, if people have heard of people who are monks in maybe the only place they've ever actually heard of. And at the same time as, one of the only monks anyone's ever actually probably heard of, because not a lot of monks rise to the, the consciousness of uh, the public at large. Can we start just before we get into the the history of how you got there? Can you just tell people where and when you were uh, a monastic?
1: I uh, entered Gethsemane in October of sixty eight, which is interesting because Merton wasn't was on his trip. So when I he left in August and I left in October and he died in December, so I never met him. Yeah, which, but I have a lot of some information about. Well, I I'm one <laughs> of the monks that buried him. Oh wow! Yeah, so that was kind of neat.
0: So let's uh, let's take that as a teaser, and we'll talk about we'll get to Thomas Merton in a minute. But I want to I want to keep the the spotlight on you first. So maybe it wasn't quite as uncommon a decision in the '60s as it would be now, but can you talk about that decision to enter a uh, monastery?
1: Yeah, my, well, it starts when I was, my aunt, um, who has recently died, she was a Trappistine nun, and so we used to go to down to see her in Rentham. That was my dad's sister. Okay. And uh, in the monastery in Rentham, and just got really introduced to them, to the trappist and the monastic life and there were brothers there that worked on their big farm so brother dominic was a guy that i got to know and you know he's he was a great guy <laughs> i got a kind of a introduction into that as far as a vocation concerns i i was slow coming i i you know i had been you know we we're going down there as a little kid sure yeah so it's a but then i decided that i would uh was very interested in the life, in the, in monastic life. And I'll get to this because this is the pivotal thing about my entering, get I something, is I was too young. And they, they used, they always had, they took a lot of guys when they were, I took them when they're 15, 13. Oh, wow. But they didn't, you know, they hardly ever worked out. So they discouraged me. They, of course, the rule of St. Benedict says you have to knock three times and be refused. You know, they said, look, you know, go off, go to college, go do something, you know, go in the army, which I wouldn't do.
0: But how old were you when you were first having these conversations with them?
1: Uh, I was 17 when I started having the conversations. I was 18 okay. when I entered. Okay. Yeah. They Their best vocations were really guys are 22, 23 years old. And so it, And the reason that is, is because that environment in the monastery. If you're an adolescent going in there, you'll be an adolescent for a long time. There's no... It's not...
0: I've never heard it said that way, but that's beautiful. Yeah, it's not...
1: You know, It's not a place where you grow socially. I mean, you. it's very social. Fact, sure. It's very social, but it's not a place where you have the experiences to grow. My issues were, you know, I had all kinds of adolescents. I just get mad at everything. and you know, Yeah. Yeah, so it was... I just wasn't mature enough to, uh, but it's, I loved it there. And so when I was really struggling with my vocation, I was up for vows. I was a novice for two and a half years. And, and actually, I was, I was there for six months and then a novice as a postulant, two years as a, so I just, a,
0: because we're going to have, People for whom none of these terms mean anything. Can yeah. we just define our terms a little? In yeah, postulant
1: a- is the – they'd have a six-month thing where they just take you in. Okay. Yeah, and you don't – you know, you can
0: – If it doesn't work, you can walk yeah, away. walk and, away. Okay.
1: Yeah, no. And then you take the first step, which is to be the novice, and that's when you enter the order. Okay. And
0: So there's some sort of ceremony there, and very a pledge so. on yep. your part yep. to yep. say I'm going to yep. uphold these rules.
1: Yeah, and you're yep. usually a novice for about two years. Okay. Uh, and then you're up for minor vows and they, minor vows, they call them juniors, but it's anywhere. You have to be at least there three more years before you can take solemn vows. And most people, it's, it's all of that and longer before they okay. actually take solemn vows. So you can go. I mean, it's still, you know, you're not, it's not quite as restricted or quite as <laughs> ironclad as solemn vows.
0: So when you take your minor vows, what are you – What are like we've all heard of things like a, a vow of poverty, a vow of silence, a vow of celibacy associated with various monastic orders. When you take minor vows, what are we talking
1: about? Well, it's the same vow as you take only it's a different – you're just in a different place. Okay. And the vows – it's interesting that you don't take a vow of poverty. You don't take a vow of chastity either. You take a vow um, of obedience and that is a very important – issue and then you take a vow it's called conversion of manners and that's <laughs> after all these years now and have been there and all these years thinking about it what that really means is that you're going to strive as hard as you can to live that life that's what it means you know you're that's that's what your that's what your job is going to be is okay to, to live that life um so it's kind of i thought that was kind of neat
0: <laughs> i want to step Uh, Just step back again, just for a minute. So you first started talking to them about entering the monastery when you were 17, which at that age, I don't even know if it's so much to me if it strikes me as what you're committing to as what you're stepping away from in order to make that commitment. And it seems like at the age of 17, or even at the age of 18, I mean, I'm 48. I'm never 100% sure I'm mature enough to do any particular thing I'm doing. But as a teenager, how did you even come to make that choice? Like, it's worth saying... No to these things in order to say yes. to Well,
1: me. I'm not sure. I um, I was going towards the life rather than saying no to something. Um, I didn't think about it that way. Sure, but you're you're right on because you can't be an adolescent there. It's just it's like in anywhere. Yeah, in life, you just you got to grow up. And they had a lot of experience with guys my age, and most of it doesn't work. They people left. I, To be honest with you, I'm sure they took me because my aunt was a Trappistine abbess at that point.
0: <laughs> so there's, uh, <laughs> and there's she is family world, connections even. World-renowned.
1: You know, so she, they, everybody knew her.
0: Oh, and, no kidding. Okay.
1: Yeah, and also, I went to college right near there, and I used to visit a lot. And I talked to the, not, the recruiter or the guy, that's the vocation director, and he knew I was serious. And it was, a, you know, I used to go over there uh, once a month probably and, and just chat with him. And they keep, they discourage you, you know, they, you know, well, you know, this sounds good. And, but uh, in the end, I remember he wrote to my, my dad wrote to him and said, do you think that Dom is a candidate for the monastery? And, and uh, Father Matthew was his name. He said, I think we should let him come.
0: So just to make sure I've got the, the timeline in my brain, when you were 17, you first had that conversation, they initially said you should go yeah. do other things. And you – so you went to college.
1: No. Yeah. Went to college for okay. a year. Yeah. For a year. Yeah.
0: And during that year, you hadn't made any other formal arrangement with them. You went to college for no, a year. No, I and was – but I went
1: was – I went to the uh, – actually, it was St. Mary's College. So it was a seminary I went to. Okay. And there was only about – 30 miles from Gethsemane. Okay. <laughs> that's why I went there.
0: Gotcha. And so that's what so, was allowing you to regularly visit. Exactly. Maintain a relationship. Yeah, yeah. And then after a year of college and this conversation. Right. that You just I told just, us about. Then it was time to I enter. I really want. Yeah. Okay.
1: And so it was uh, interesting. I love that life. I really did. I, I, I kind of sometimes regret that I wish I didn't wait until i was 23 or 24 but cuz it's very hard to make as you know we just said that to make a decision that means the rest of your life at 18
0: yeah it's <laughs> it's hard for sure
1: yeah there's nothing about that life i didn't love
0: you can almost see the capital letters in the life as you as you talk about it and i'd i'd love to just have you paint us a some sort of word picture of of what a day in the life well, is like to yeah. whatever degree you can <laughs>
1: The other, another thing about is that everything I like to do, they had in spades. Okay. <laughs> I know they have a huge farm. They had a grain mill. They dehydrated alfalfa, made pellets. I ran a pellet mill for a year. I love that stuff. Just, you know, that was, so as far as that, that was just fun.
0: Had this been part of your life before too? Did you, were you raised on a farm or? Is no. This-
1: well, I worked on a farm. Okay. I, yeah. I worked for a farmer. Okay. Up the, you know, especially during sugaring season, but I also milk cows for them, too. Gotcha. Yeah. It really was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you, sh- I wasn't thinking as much then as about what the spiritual life, that's a, the spiritual life is, um, let me say, say it this way. I tell people, if you can't accept that you go there, it's God alone. It's God alone. If you can't accept, that's why you're there for God alone. You can't live there. Okay. Yeah. And, and I was, you know, I began to develop that and it was difficult. Um, because I, I, when I came up for vows, I put it off for six months. And then I realized that I had so many questions about whether I really wanted to stay there because of the, just the issues that I just, I needed to sort kind of break out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. As much as I really loved it and the people, I didn't, I knew that I would just, there's something about staying in at lesson, you know, all the little traumas that you have at a lesson don't go away. Yeah. <laughs> so I talked to the abbot and he, they said, well, my name was Jeremy. Okay. You have to take a different name than, because okay. they, they had a Thomas, so they can't have to but uh because he was he said you should leave here for a couple years go out do something and then come back and i think they expected me to come back i I expected myself to come back yeah (laughs) i go get out come back to montpelier meet my wife (laughs) which didn't work and that was a you know here i am now i'm uh Twenty-two, <laughs> and you can, trying to make another decision means the rest of your life. And then there's another big part of this, and that's the whole Vietnam War. When I went into the monastery, I was not a conscientious objector. I kind of followed my dad, and you know, he wasn't a right wing guy, but he was pretty level. But he sure. was very pro United States. When I came home, um, because of the people that I got to know, especially at Father John Hughes. I, I was a pacifist. I wouldn't have gone to war for anything. And so now I've got to, I come back. <laughs> you got to face the draft. My lottery number was sixty. <laughs> so uh, I went, came out, and my dad's on the draft board in Montpelier. Oh wow! Yeah. So my draft board was down in southern Vermont. So you have to go through the you know you apply to you know and then they write a bunch of stuff and then they you have an interview. And that's pretty interesting because they're, they're retired colonel somebody or, <laughs> you know, like yeah, that. it's, a, I realized that then when I had that interview and after that, and I heard some feedback from those guys that interviewed me, I could convince them I could, it was quite easy for me. It's really, it was really easy. And, and my dad and I had an event because my dad, boy, he hated the fact that I was, cause he, you know, see these guys, coming in and go to the, you know, and they were just anti-Vietnam. And and he uh, he sat me down one time. He is a funeral in player. We sat on the back porch. He says, all right, Don, I want you to tell me why it is that you want to, you're a conscientious objector and why it is that you're going to not go in the draft. And then about, and I did, I started to talk to him and my dad and I were, he, We never really were all that close. But in the the end, the the conversation, it was, still joked up about it. I mean, he turned to me and he said, you know, if I was on your draft board, I'd give it to you. Wow. Yeah, it was was such a, so that the system, the conscientious objector system was built for me. It was built for people like me. You know, religious background, you know, you had thought it out. That was a big deal. Of course, then that, put me into as a conscientious objector, then I had to go do some alternative service. service. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That has a whole nother story to it. But
0: I'll just say for the listeners here, just coincidentally, Several episodes ago, if you go to a com, there's an interview with Bob Sharkey, who was also a conscientious objector during the Vietnam War. He went to Siena College, Catholic College yeah. in Albany, in New York. And when he was there, he helped make ROTC voluntary rather than mandatory. And then he, through that process, he himself became a conscientious objector. And he eventually, his was appealed all the way to Washington, D.C., and eventually the National Board uh, allowed it to him. And he ended up working as a a houseman in a hospital in Albany, yeah, I think. Yeah. So we can't get through this interview without, I don't know if this is how you're supposed to refer to Thomas Martin, but without talking about one of the elephants in the room of Gethsemane, right, yeah. which is yeah. Thomas Merton, who is the reason I initially knew that Gethsemane right. existed. I learned about him when I was young. And then when I became a Buddhist, he is one of the people who did a, a lot of thinking about the intersection between Catholic and Buddhist, right. Buddhist monasticism. Sure
1: did. Uh, and that was a, that whole thing was going on in the Trappist life at the time. Um, well, Dom Flavian Burns was the abbot and he was very much on that track of being a Buddhist. We all were sort of introduced to it at Gethsemane. Yeah. Yeah. Because of Merton. I would have liked to have known him, but I just didn't. Uh, I know him only from people talking about him because he left. He died in December. Um, which is interesting. I'll tell you a little story about that because I was at, at Gethsemane you have a main meal. Okay. At noon. And you're really expected to be there. You know, that's it's a community thing. They read a book, which is interesting, while you eat. Okay. And uh, But I was and everybody sits in seniority when you entered. So where I was sitting, the abbot Flavian came around the corner. And he looked right at me. And I saw him no ten years ago. And I we talked about this. And he said he remembered that. He looked he said I said, Wow. He just stared at me, walked by, went up to the microphone, and said, Father Lewis is dead. And everybody he it was unbelievable. I mean it was a shock. That whole place just.
0: And just to clarify, was Lewis was Father Thomas. Father Lewis Merton's was Thomas was name yes, in the monastery.
1: Yeah, that was, it was, but the whole experience, that eye contact with Flavian and that when he said that, it, whew. of course, he, would, he was brought back from, you know, he's in a casket. He's the only casket and gets him at, in. Oh, really? In the, yeah, he's the only one. They, uh, well, they, he wasn't in that great a shape. He was electrocuted. They didn't – I don't know if they embalmed him or anything, but he, when he got him back, he was in this tin box.
0: For younger listeners, I just feel the need to say he wasn't electrocuted like in the sense of the death penalty. Oh, no. It was an accident. Oh, gosh, I just want to make you. sure people thank understand. You. No, he tripped yeah. over his fan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was It was an accident. He right. wasn't uh, convicted gosh, of a crime you. and yeah. yeah, put to death. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh boy, thanks. Yes. Thanks for that.
0: <laughs> Just so I want, want yeah. this to be the show where yeah. we cast those aspersions. So. <laughs>
1: but to make a long story short, they, Flavian didn't want to take him out of the box. Okay. Yeah. Cause they usually, what they do when, when you die is there's a beer. It's the same one's been there forever. Okay. You're, you're laid out there when you, the day you die, they clean you up, put you there and two monks say the Psalms from that Time you're in the church until you're buried and that um
0: in the in the room with you with, yeah right in the, right, in the, the church while you're burn. put laid in the church okay
1: and then two monks they, you write down every half hour you take times every half hour wow and they wouldn't do that with mernin because he was in this box and uh so <laughs> when it came time to this is bury him i was working on the farm and Brother Coleman was the guy digging the grave, and uh, he he sent for me because he knew they knew my father was an undertaker. Oh, okay. So I, he goes, I says, Brother Jeremy, how deep should this be with a for a casket? And I looked down and I said, That's deep enough. <laughs> I said, You had a way too deep. <laughs> I said, Usually, you know, three feet down plus the casket is or two feet down plus. Sure, yeah. And he had, I think at that point, the thing was about seven feet deep. <laughs> but I said, oh, "This, I didn't say fill it back in, but I knew that they were going to have a problem with that. So here it is. You're in the middle of the, of the funeral. You go out from the funeral out into the cemetery. And they have a lowering device, which I was very used to. And my dad put it on. And the, the undertaker there f- flicks the switch and down it goes. But it does in case the straps aren't long enough to go to oh, the no. bottom. So here <laughs> this and this guy looked like he was
0: terrified. I can only imagine, yeah.
1: Because <laughs> I mean this you know, there's people there, I mean there's celebrities there. I mean, it was a very big deal. His sure. funeral. Um Coretta King was there. Oh wow. Yeah. So anyway, uh all of a sudden the strap comes off and bang <laughs> this tin box hitting the bottom. And I, and I said, oh boy. Well, one of the, when the, in a monastery, in a Trappist burial, usually what you've done is they just pin your hood, put you in the ground, bury you.
0: Okay. Totally, not in anything. Not in right. anything
1: except your habit. During the service, as part of the service, you fill in the grave. Okay. So, and I did that. I actually did that a lot there. But I was filling in the grave. I was one of the monks filling in the grave, right in the in the service. Yeah. And boy, we started throwing this <laughs> dirt down here, and it
0: ding, 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 bang, bang, bang.
1: Oh, I no. went, oh man! <laughs> and the I could see the abbot going, whoa, yes. <laughs> but, it was, but anyway, he finally got it built up. Oh so my god, it was it was kind of. But it, you know, I shouldn't laugh because, but there was, there was quite an experience. Yes. Um, anyway, Merton's influence on Gethsemane was enormous, just enormous. Everybody loved him, and he could, you know. There's always a monk that's probably not as quite as sharp as the next guy, one of the sure. brothers, and and they used to have a sign language because they didn't speak. And uh, when I was there, they we did we didn't speak okay. in, in the monastery, but you spoke outside that word. Okay. So uh, so Lou, they said, Lou would makes signs with Father Edis Ball." They're saying you know, and everybody think loved him. And yet, all these people, you know, Jacques Maritain, come talk to him, and you know, so it's it's really impressive just yeah. how the how universally loved the man was by everybody.
0: Which is interesting. I I don't know a ton about, uh, and I don't again, I don't want to make this a podcast about Thomas Merton, but um, I I didn't know a ton about how he was perceived inside the walls of Gethsemane itself, because you could imagine a situation in which. Someone in that kind of community becomes internationally renowned, and there's either there's resentment or it causes just friction because of the celebrity into the community. Not even but close. It Sounds like that didn't happen. Not well. at all. That's one. Not at all. Wouldn't yeah, it,
1: it would be odd for somebody to be jealous or somebody. It just would be. Yeah. It just it didn't. And I knew that there's probably some monks there that didn't even know he was famous.
0: <laughs> oh, <You know>, really? <laughs>
1: So yeah, it was, uh, as we, as I moved along, I started to read his stuff and he had a lot of lectures all the time. So yeah, but they recorded them. Oh, great. And so we, you know, I listened to his lectures and stuff. The monastery is a, it's all about God and you. It's all about that. It's a relationship with God that has to be your life. in order to live that life.
0: And I'm, I'm so glad you said that, because that's exactly where I was going to go. We've got about five minutes left, and I'm going to ask you a question now that is insane to ask someone when there are five minutes remaining in the show. And it is this. The relationship with God, in one sense, sounds very straightforward. However, certainly throughout the history of Christianity, the nature of God and what people mean when they say that word has been... In some cases, quite malleable. Right. And I think maybe that's even (laughs) more so now. So I'm curious for you personally, did it, what did it mean? What did what did you think of when you thought about it's all about God? What did that actually mean to you?
1: Well, it's a, it was more, (laughs) and I've thought about this all my life. I can
0: only imagine. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So it's a, but it's, it's more about God than it was Jesus. Okay. So I, you know, know, although Jesus is the the Catholic, I mean, it's, it's everything. He's around, right? He's yeah. Around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I didn't see him as God. My idea of God was more universal. He is what's out here and created what's out here. Somebody did. <laughs> and I think it was him. Yeah. Yeah. Or her or however. But it's uh that's the way I thought then. I, God was a, so it became a way of life. In other words, in, when you relate to people or, you relate in a way that is kind. So you, you become a, I don't know, just become a kind person. And the men there were some of the greatest men I've ever known. And they were as normal as anybody I've ever met. You could have a conversation about anything. They are very they read and they're very well yeah. educated usually.
0: Since you've now spent the, the majority of your life right. o- outside yeah. the – Walls of the monastery. I'm curious about how over the years that relationship may have changed for you. And, and I know that in, in Buddhism, one of the, particularly in the Zen Buddhism that I practice, one of the things we talk about is that. You know, it's yes, it's fine to be Buddhist when you are on the cushion, but how are you actually carrying that practice right, out into right, your day to day life? And that's the challenge. That's yes. that's where the rubber meets the roads, so, so to speak. It's one thing if you are certainly in a monastery; there is interpersonal relationships right, and so on and so forth. Right. But if you are out in the in the secular world, right. it's a different kind of challenge. I think. Sure am so Curious about how you've well. That was dealt one of the around. things
1: that you uh, learn. I learned real quick is that you can't live a monastic life out here. You just can't. The world is not built for it. And that that was after I began to realize that it was that made it really kind of hard for me because in the monastery, the structure, the day, the people you interacted with, the the whole schedule was all about um, God alone. It's all about your uh, living that life. Now, the other thing about Trappist and the rule of Saint Benedict is that. Their they're OCSO Order of Cistercians, the strict observance. Trappist started because the Benedictines got too worldly and
0: too too loose with the rules and such. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah.
1: it. Uh, but the 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 Rule of Saint Benedict was a very big deal, and there's a bunch of things I still remember. It regulated your life, you yeah, know, in terms of your know, work, in terms of structure. It, if you wanted to be like if you want to be a hermit which is a big aspiration for a, you know there's lots of rules <laughs> and the rules same about that and that was very seldom allowed but it's the the structure of it it's it was so and it was so easy for me i you know to to be there and to yeah. to, to sort of accept all of the the structure and the the schedule and um
0: that's one of the things that's always appealed to me that is I've gone on you know, longer retreats and things, um, Zen retreats. And there, yeah, there is, I don't know, not to put too fine a point on it, but I mean, I have, you know, I have, was married and I have children and all those things now. So, but there's something, there's like almost like a release of the decision making process of life into the hands of someone else. I, I don't have to figure out what every day is going to look like. Because someone already figured that out. That's right. And now I just have to do it and commit myself to doing it. There is something about that that sounds so appealing. When the alternative is, I do have to figure out what every single day is going to look like and where the meal is going to come from. That's right. So on and so forth.
1: Well, in fact, that's. I wish (laughs) I sort of got onto that earlier because that uh, that really is true. You don't you don't have to worry about anything. You just have, and that's what makes (laughs) that's also what makes the life hard because. You don't have a lot of distractions. You don't you know I keep emphasizing this, God alone is a thing you think about. Yeah. And that's what it is. That's what you think of what whatever that is every day for you. That's what And you,
0: I imagine if you'll find out pretty quickly if that's not the real reason you're there. Right. Because the other things that might distract you are removed from the equation, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I remember one of the brothers was telling me, he says, You know, you could leave a roll of a hundred fifty dollar bills on that table right there, he says it'll rot. He says you put a screwdriver <laughs> screwdriver down there it won't last three minutes. <laughs> 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 so it's got, so there's sort of a yeah, you just didn't have to worry about that. Yeah, stuff like that, you know.
0: Is there as we as we come to a close here? Is there anything you could say to someone listening to this show who? Who's out here in in the world? And uh, anything that's worked for you to, if not live a monastic life, maybe retains some of the essence of that, some of that connection to a a deeper meaning. That's a huge. Well, question, it's I it's, it's
1: it's evolved. Yeah. Over you know the, I'm 72, so i I left when I was 22. So it uh, what has done for me and what it still does and what that holds the spirituality of it it makes me kinder and that's it's and that became that's been one of my whole goals in my life to be a kind person and i'm sure that's where it has come from because um, that's it's one of those things that if you are then you know that can get very close to being spiritual you know it's a and I'm not always kind either, but but you know but I really aspire to that and I and I aspire to that because I think that's God's in there somewhere. I really do.
0: That's a beautiful place to draw to a close. Tom, it's been such an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I really thank you for giving me some of your time. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of A Brief Chat. You can support the show at patreon.com slash vanarchism. You'll get early access to every episode, a monthly bonus show, plus travel essays and photos and videos from my vanarchism project, which chronicles my van travels across the U.S. Thank you, and I'll talk to you again next week.